Welcome to the Museum of Femininity, a space to explore and celebrate the stories and art that can help us piece together the fascinating and sometimes forgotten lives of women throughout history. Welcome back to the Museum of Femininity. My name is Charlotte Appleyard. Welcome back to the Museum of Femininity. My name is Charlotte Appleyard. For today's mini episode, we will be discussing an interesting fashion history related true crime story about the infamous Madame Elise, a society dressmaker who became notorious after the appalling conditions in their place of work led to the death of a seamstress. In the mid-19th century, there were few options for women who were seeking employment. However, one skill that was often shared between lower, middle and even upper-class women alike was needlework. Gentlewomen could sew as an added accomplishment, but women from poor backgrounds had to use their skills to earn a living and support themselves. It was seen as a naturally feminine pursuit and appropriate for a woman, so naturally seamstresses were in high demand. There were, of course, different levels. Millinery and dressmaking were considered to be higher end and more respectable, as their families would have had to earn enough money to pay for them to become apprentices to learn the trade. In the 1840s, people were becoming more aware of workers' conditions, and consequently the figure of the distressed seamstress was born and appeared in pamphlets, novels, short stories and poetry as a sort of tragic figure who had been taken advantage of. One well-known song was called The Song of the Shirt. The first stanza goes, quote, With fingers weary and worn, with eyelids heavy and red, a woman sat in unwomanly rags, plying her needle and bread, stitch, stitch, stitch in poverty, hunger and dirt, and still with a voice of dolorous pitch, she sang the song of the shirt. This emphasises the slightly sentimental aura around this feminine archetype, which seems to echo the fallen woman or even the poor urchin child in a Dickens novel. This bled into the real world too. Various stories started to emerge in the press, Tales of needlewomen stealing from their employers to feed their starving children, and even one report of a woman trying to kill herself and her child. Gradually an image formed of a poor and helpless woman driven to crime or even prostitution. There is also a definite anti-Semitic angle here, as unfortunately unfeeling Jewish merchants were blamed and vilified by the press. It was against this backdrop that the Madame Elise scandal occurred, and you can see the influence of such damaging cultural attitudes. In 1863, an anonymous letter was delivered to the Times, signed by, quote, a tired dressmaker. This damaging piece revealed the tragic death of Mary Ann Walkley, a 20-year-old seamstress who had been working for Madame Elise a dressmaker of some repute, who had even made garments for the royal family. The letter read, quote, 
Sir, I am a dressmaker, living in a large West End house of business. I work in a crowded room with 28 others. This morning, one of my companions was found dead in her bed, and we all of us think that long hours and close confinements have had a great deal to do with her end. end quote. The letter caused a scandal, and all eyes were on the fashionable and high class establishment located at 170 Regent Street. However, beneath the glamorous exterior, there was a cramped, demanding work environment where young women were forced to work as early as 8.30am to 11 o'clock at night. On some occasions, they may have been working throughout the night, particularly during major society events. As well as the long hours and poor pay, many of these workrooms were located in basements or attics with no light and poor ventilation, which would have led to the seamstresses working away in incredibly hot spaces, unbeknownst to the finely dressed women who frequented the spacious, light showrooms above. After their difficult shifts, the workers would sleep in a common room, divided into small cells, barely large enough for two beds, and intended for two people per bed. All of these employees would have been cramped in these rooms together. The air must have been thin and hard to breathe. It was poor Mary Ann Walkley who fell victim to these conditions after working 23 hours straight to finish dresses for the reception given to celebrate the arrival of Alexandra of Denmark, who was to be the new Princess of Wales. These were incredibly luxurious dresses and were mainly worn at court by debutantes and society ladies attending balls or being presented to the Queen during their official coming out. The demand was very high, particularly as the reputation of Madame Elise increased, which was perhaps encouraged by them producing garments for the royal family themselves. Madame Elise was in fact a court dressmaker to the Princess of Wales, Queen Alexandra, who married Queen Victoria's eldest and wayward son, Albert, in 1861. This was a big deal, and was obviously something Madame Elise took much pride in, as we will later touch on when discussing their branding and use of labels. To further highlight this point, Alexandra was a very beautiful woman who was popular with the public. She was also perhaps one of the first female members of the royal family to truly capture the imagination and become a trendsetter. She favoured slim silhouettes and was incredibly elegant. You can see this in late 19th century fashion trends. Madame Elise was in fact responsible for altering Alexandra's wedding dress, turning it into an evening dress she could add to her trousseau. This stresses that Madame Elise did not briefly work with royalty and was in fact hugely responsible for many high-profile garments worn by the princess. It must have been a hugely lucrative job as well when you consider the sway she had over fashion at the time. There was a definite sheen of glamour as well as the luxurious showrooms disguising a darker behind-the-scenes environment. Madame Elise herself was a facade as the name was a fake one given the illusion of French chicness when in fact the shop was run by the Isaacsons 
a husband and wife team who were responsible for this flourishing business and its appalling workshop. Marianne had fallen ill the Friday before her death and became increasingly ill over the weekend, eventually being found dead on Monday morning. A medical examiner was called to certify the death, stating the cause was apoplexy, resulting from, quote, long hours of work in a crowded workspace and a bedroom that is too small and poorly ventilated. After the Times article was published, there was a public outcry which drew attention to the overall working conditions in the West End, as well as highlighting the social origins of the employees who were often orphans and easy to exploit. At the time, for middle-class and upper-class women, working would have been unthinkable, as on the whole, the most they could hope for was getting married and being mothers. So unearthing the realities of working-class life for women would have been a shocking revelation. In the Preston Chronicle, dated June 27th, 1863, they wrote, We would still be ignorant of the extent of this white slavery in West London if this poor young girl had not died in such a way that it would have been necessary to call in a forensic doctor to make an investigation. One of the most famous examples of press coverage was an illustration published in the Punch July 1863 edition, entitled The Haunted Lady or the Ghost in the Looking Glass, and depicting a beautifully dressed young woman looking in the mirror, startled to see the ghostly reflection of the dead seamstress, a crane-like Madame Elise looming over her shoulder. The caption read, quote, We would not have shrunk from any sacrifice not to disappoint your lordship, and the dress is finished wonderfully. The Isaacsons were, of course, under scrutiny for the role they played in the death. However, as the cause of death was natural, they were cleared of any crime, and incredibly, their business did not immediately disintegrate. However, the events and resulting outrage was enough for some to attempt to change the laws. The Earl of Shaftesbury suggested an amendment to the health regulations from houses that employed seamstresses. The Chamber did not respond well to the proposal and no reform followed the case. Part of the difficulty stemmed from the government's inspectors being unable to intervene in private spaces which did not fall under their responsibilities. So did this scandal have an impact on Madame Elise? It seems once the heat died down they resumed their place as a dressmaker to the creme de la creme of society. One example of a garment made after these events belongs to the Metropolitan Museum of Arts collection. It is a late 1870s silk afternoon dress, as expected from the late 19th century. It is a bustle gown with various lace tiers and a fitted corseted bodice with a raised detail at the front and long ruffled sleeves. It is interesting because it also has a label displaying the name of the dressmaker, which is common now but back then would have been unusual. The label reads, by special appointment, dressmaker to Her Royal Highness Princess of Wales, Elise, 170 Regent Street, London. 
This is significant because it shows the sense of pride the dressmaker felt in their work and their prestigious royal connections. The inclusion of the name and address also demonstrates lack of concern for the bad publicity that had befallen Madame Elise. Please note this dress was made some years after the tragic death of Mary Ann Walkley, so clearly it did not affect their reputation. In conclusion, the story of Mary Ann Walkley and Madame Elise is one of extreme neglect that draws attention to the criminally bad working conditions many in London were faced with. It is stories like this that accumulated over time and helped to make important changes that improved the lives of the working classes. As an isolated case, however, it also shows how this was a long way off due to the lack of justice and continued bad conditions many seamstresses had to endure for many years to come. I also think it is interesting to witness the press's lust for a scandal, particularly in their dramatic accounts of what's happened, and things like the fanciful illustration of the ghostly dead seamstress in the mirror. This feels disrespectful to me as if the public and press did not sincerely care about Marianne Walkley, but were merely curious and entertained by the shock of her demise. You could say this is further highlighted by the fact nothing really changed, and Madame Elise continued to prosper years after these events. I'm just speculating, but you cannot help but wonder if the class of these women had something to do with it, and that perhaps they were more expendable and their lives carried less value in contrast to the wealth and status generated by this burgeoning and ever-developing retail industry and the needs of those in the upper echelons of society. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Please follow on Instagram at the Museum of Femininity where I will be posting images relating to this episode. And there will be some show notes as well where you can find the references I used. And I look forward to seeing you again. I hope you enjoy your day, whatever you may be doing. Goodbye.